emphasize on this beginning of a new year. There's something about a, a new calendar year, and I, I, you know, I've tried to write it off as psychological. I've tried to write it off as all just, you know, whatever. But I believe there's something spiritual. I believe it's it's more than just mental, um, more than just a clean slate. Um, I believe it's a new beginning. God is a God of new beginnings. Every morning his mercies are new to us. And so we turn the page every, every day. Give us this day our daily bread. We, we press forward, forgetting what's behind, reaching ahead. Um, th- these are the ways of God. These, the, this is how God wants us to live uh, each day of our life. And so we do that day by day, week by week, month by month. And, and then we come to the turning of a really big page and we start a new calendar year. I want to encourage you um, over these next few days to really consider your daily routine, your daily routine in 2022. Our Father has put greatness in every one of us. Our Father has put greatness in every one of us. Amen. And your daily routine will have a lot to do with how much of the potential that He's invested in you, how much of that potential will actually be released. Amen. And so I would consider um, just, you know, looking at some simple things that you can do consistently. Um, The Lord led me to a a gentleman named David Lee Martin, and and he has really been speaking into my life over the last few months. He is a British brother, and um, he feels like his calling to the body of Christ is to help develop what he calls Christian creatives. And um, he has written several books, and so obviously that's uh, some things that I have uh, really benefited from his wisdom uh, in that area. But one of the things he says that really registers with me, and I think it'll register with you, he said that we often overestimate what we can accomplish in a day and grossly underestimate what we can accomplish in a year. That's good, isn't it? You know? And um, so just... It's not my message this morning, but I just want to begin with that admonition. I I said that to the folks that were here on Wednesday night, and I want to say it again to to all of us this morning. Consider what you can do on a daily basis. Um, Make a commitment to to the Word of God on a daily basis. Make a commitment to prayer on a daily basis. Listen, if if you're already praying two hours a day, then go keep, just be, you know, just get on with your bad self. You know what I'm saying? Go, go, you know. Um, but, you know, s- simple things like how you start your day, things that, that you should be confessing over your life and family every morning. Um, uh, we talk a lot about a proverb a day around here. We talk a lot about the Ephesians prayer, beginning in Ephesians 1, verse 16. So there are some of those things that, you know, I would just highly recommend. If, if you can't do anything more than this, and you can, but... If right now it seems impossible to you, then make, make a commitment like this. I'm going to read at least one chapter in God's Word uh, a day. Amen. You know, sometimes people tell me, Pastor Mark, I don't understand the Bible. i got good news for you. The Bible understands you. And, and what, what you'll find is <clears throat> that when you elevate the Word of God in, in, in your priorities and, and you esteem it and, and value it and treasure it, um, not only will your heart be connected to it, but Father will begin to unlock things in the Word uh, and show you things by His Spirit in the Word that will revolutionize your life. Amen. Remember, Jesus said we don't live by bread alone. Certainly, we all have to have food to, for our physical body to survive. So you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so we know that faith, by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, so you know, your spirit, your soul, you know, your emotions. Um, Jesus said things like, I've, I've said these words to you so that my joy can be in you. I've said these words to you so that you can have my peace in you. So the Word of God um, will bring healing to your physical body. It'll bring soundness uh, and, and just overflow of, of the right kind of emotions in your emotional life, um, your, your, your whole mental, you know, renewing and reconditioning, feed your spirit, and so there's a reason why, you know, hashtag resistance is real, okay? The devil 
does everything he can to keep God's people, for that matter, anybody, but especially, you know, God's people from his word. Because the word of God is, is such a vital connection um, for us. Amen. And, and as you sit down with the word, ask the Lord to show you something. Um, it's, it's not about, you know, bragging that you read so many chapters a day. You know, there are people who read the Bible every day but never hear from God a single day. Amen. But he wants to speak to you um, through his word and, and from his word. Amen. So um, I want to talk to you, uh, by the way, youth tomorrow evening, it's first, not just first Monday of the month, first Monday of the new year, pizza night. You guys bring a friend and um, be a great time with our young people tomorrow evening. Um, I want to, it'd be a minute or two before I put a Bible verse on the screen, but I've got probably more than we'll get to this morning. There's a few things that, um, that the Lord has been just really dealing with me personally about. And sometimes he deals with me personally about things that, that never make it to the pulpit. But then there are other times when he deals with me personally about things that are then to be brought to the pulpit. In other words, um, I never want to just bring what I call a canned sermon to you. Um, if, if, it's, if, it, if it's not meaningful to me and impactful to me, then it's going to be very difficult for me to deliver it in a way that would be meaningful or impactful um, to you. And um, I, I never want to, to present something to you that I'm not at least doing or trying to do or practice or live out in uh, my own life. And so I am uh, unapologetically a faith preacher. You know, some, some people you know, consider that you know, a, a wrong label. And a lot of denominations you know, look down upon the word of faith movement as some um, sect or cult of Christianity or what have you. And, and um, listen, <laughs> we're to live every day of our lives by faith. I mean, it's, you know, the just live by faith. Those who have it right live by faith. And I am unapologetically a faith preacher as um, one of the great heroes of, of, of faith, Brother Kenneth E. Hagin said that, you know, I'm a faith child of a faith God. I've preached faith from the Word of God to as many people as will listen to me for more than 30 years. But for the last year or more, my heart has been consumed with thoughts about trusting God. Now, I'm not trying to elevate myself this morning. Just understand everything that I told you a while ago about our, our need to hear from God on a daily basis, that's something that I, that I practice in my life. I, I want to hear something from him on, on a daily basis. And, of course, the way you do that is get in his word, meditate on his word, and then he'll begin to speak to you. And for more than a year now, <clears throat> most of the time when I do that, he speaks to me about this subject of learning to trust him. And that's why we've been on this subject for so long. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of things from the Bible that I could preach to you about, amen, um, teach you good things. Don't misunderstand me, important things. Um, but I'm more interested in, in exactly what the Holy Spirit is breathing on in this moment for us, amen. Um, we, we live in strange times. And we're not surprised by that. Jesus told us these things were coming, and I don't mean to scare you, but he told us not only were they coming, but they were going to intensify and come more frequently. And so we live in strange times, and um, it's always been critically important for God's people to hear from him. But I personally believe that it's never been more vital that we as his people hear from him and hear from him clearly on a daily basis. Amen. And so what I believe God is saying to us is that we need to learn to trust him. That we need to learn to trust upwardly and not downwardly. We tend to put our trust in things that we can control because the dilemma of trust is control. And so we like to put our trust in things like, for instance, money. Money is one of those things that, that are beneath us, right? You can earn more money. And so... The devil tries to deceive us into putting our trust in things that are beneath us because, again, it's something we can control. My friend, you can't control God, amen, but you don't need to control You don't want to control him, amen. Um, but notice, he, he is above you, 
And so we've got to learn to direct our trust upwardly, amen, instead of downwardly or um, out laterally. The other thing that the Holy Spirit has really spoken to us over and over again in 2021 is that he can only take you, he can only take me, he can only take us as far as our trust in him will allow. Amen. And of course, we have the last couple of weeks here at Heritage been looking at the, the, the word of God where we see the cross and our salvation experience is a qualifying experience. But the simple ex- example that the Holy Spirit gave us last Sunday morning was to imagine everyone going into Disney World but remaining right there by the front gate because they thought the ticket was only to get them in. And that's how so many people view their salvation. They get born again, but they linger around the cross because they think it's only about getting in. When the cross is a qualifying experience that qualifies you and me for where God wants to take you next, where he wants to lead you. But again, he's not the great cowboy, he's the great shepherd. He will not drive his people from behind, but he will get in front of you and lead you. But you won't follow him if you don't trust him. So he's trying to lead you into your best life, the life that he always intended for you to live and me to live. But unless we trust him, unless we trust him, we'll never follow him into that best life. And so, again, in the course of our study, I'm, I'm going to get to some new stuff here in a moment, but in the course of our study, another thing that the Lord has said to us is that there's only one way to learn to trust him, and there's only one reason why people don't. Now, you can spiritualize your dysfunction and make up all these other reasons, but the bottom line of it is this. The only way to learn to trust God is to trust him. And if you want to trust him more, you're going to have to trust him more. And the only reason people don't trust God is because they're afraid of what will happen if they do. And so we, we tend to play it close to the vest and lean to our own understanding. Now, it's easy to use faith and trust as if they are the same word, but the subtle difference is life-changing and not to be overlooked. And that's one of the things, and I want to explore that more this morning, but I'm probably going to save that for another day. But when when we talk about the difference between faith and trust, faith is a spiritual substance inside of you. The Bible says God has given to every person the measure of faith. Now, for a lot of people, that faith inside of them remains dormant. It's activated and released by um, the, uh, the Word of God. Um, is that me? Am I doing that? I'm not want to embarrass anybody if, it, if it's not me, but praise God. Okay, amen. Um, am I the only one hearing chimes, or is that angels drawing close? Okay, and it's like, it's like when I look back and see if there's like an angel standing behind me. Amen. It's happened before, praise God. All right, amen. Okay, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, whoever that is. I just, amen. Um, What's that? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for who it is, and it's me. I'm the man. Anyway, <laughs> praise God. But faith is a, is a spiritual substance inside of you that is, is activated and aroused and awakened and brought to the surface by hearing the Word of God. Okay? I want you to think of trust as the bridge that enables you to act on faith because what we know is that faith rises up in a lot of people's hearts but they never, they never take that next step. And of course, what we learn from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle James is that faith without works or effort on our part or a corresponding action on our part remains dormant. So think about all the times in your life and in my life where we've been in services like this where God is speaking to us and we, it's like Matt was saying, the, you know, the bad things are just fading away and, and you know, the Apostle John said it so beautifully. He said, the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining on us, right? And so we, we have those glorious moments and we get stirred up and, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and, you know, we're going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go there and I'm going to go here and I'm, I'm going to give this and I'm going to be that and all these other things. But, you know, we sometimes are a little weak on the follow-through. Um, you know, I, I'll try to save the joke that I make every year, but, you know, I quit making resolutions when I realized I could just recycle the list, you know, because it's like I kept resolving to do the same thing year in and year out, year in and year out. Um, And so we can get motivated and energized and inspired, but 
but there has to be that trust where we actually step out on the faith that is um, rising up in us. Now, um, I've also come to understand that trust is the missing link between loving God and living by faith. It's the missing link between loving God and living by faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to hype this, okay? Um, I've got, I got lots of notes, and I got paper notes. If y'all know me, I got paper notes. That's something, right? So, um, but um, I was awakened around 2.30 this morning, and um, for the next three hours, uh, the Lord was speaking to me about as fast as I could write it down. And um, so I'm going to just kind of give you as much of this as I can this morning and unedited, amen. Um, but I, again, I, I don't say that to try to elevate myself. I'm just trying to let you know that the Holy Spirit is wanting to say something to you this morning, okay? So I've come to understand that trust is the missing link between loving God and living by faith. Love has its important place, but trust is the real currency of any relationship. How meaningful and effective can any relationship be that has love but no trust? Father wants you to love him. Amen. But he also wants you to trust him. And what he's been showing me now for some time, and I, I feel like I've at least got some biblical basis to present some of this to you this morning, is that so many of his people are trying to substitute a love for God in their hearts with a trust in God. In, in other words, we think because we love him that somehow that equals trusting him or somehow that can be used as a substitute for trusting him. I've said this a time or two, I'll say it again. Um, how would it make me feel as a father if my children and my grandchildren loved me but didn't trust me? See, that would make, that's pretty shallow, isn't it? That, that would be a pretty, pretty shallow, superficial relationship. You see, Father wants you to love and trust him, and this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Anybody familiar with that verse? If you love me, keep my commandments, okay? We hear that with worldly ears and think it to be manipulation. But see, there is no manipulation in love. How, how, about, how about this verse? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? You see, it's easy to deceive yourself into thinking you have this deep personal love relationship with God. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Is your relationship with him more about convenience or obedience? Is your relationship with God more about your agenda or his? Is your relationship with God on your terms or his? When he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is what I've been hearing. I've been hearing it this way of late. Trust me enough to do what I say. Trust me enough to do what I say. It would be different if God's words were merely opinions to be considered. It would be different if God had a hidden agenda or some self-seeking motive. So many of God's children treat him and his word as if he's trying to get one over on them. When the truth is, every word God has ever spoken to you or about you has been with your best interest in mind. My children gave me some really nice gifts for Christmas. You know, I guess... That's just the Lord prospering them. And make no mistake about it, I'm very thankful for those gifts, but there is nothing they could ever give me that would mean more to me than their listening to God, putting Him first in their lives, and doing what He says. You see, that's the heart of a father. Matter of fact, here, here's, here's the verse for that. Third John, it's only one chapter in Third John, and... Um, so it's verse 4. And at this point, uh, the Apostle John is the elder statesman in the church. Um, we don't know exactly how old he is, but if, if you're familiar with him, you know, he, he basically outlived all the other um, apostles. And they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. 
they even tried to boil him alive in oil and he wouldn't french fry amen that's the truth that's why he wound up on the isle of patmos they finally just said well we'll just we'll just banish you so think of like the the worst nastiest most dangerous prison in the world with no guards no commissary no kitchen they just throw you out of the boat close to shore and if you made it to shore and that that was the prison island of patmos and yet john was in the spirit on the lord's day on the isle of patmos and wrote the book of revelation can i tell you why they couldn't kill him because you can't kill a man who doesn't fear and he had no fear his understanding of God's love for him and then him learning how to reciprocate that love back to God and to other people made him a fearless man. Love perfected gave him boldness in every day of judgment that he ever faced without fear, without fear. And so as this elder statesman of the church, um, history has it that um, he lived out his final days in Ephesus caring for... Um, uh, Jesus's mother Mary and um, and they attended the church there uh, in Ephesus that that's now I can't prove that 100% but that's uh, a man that I truly respect that's that's what he says Dr. Rick Renner who has studied these things exhaustively but this is what he says and, and, and if you read first second and third John he uses the expression my little children a lot because again he's this father figure in the church and was a spiritual father to so many he says this i have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth nothing made him happier nothing pleased him more nothing satisfied him more than to hear that his children walk in truth there's something about a holiday season and and it's a very special time for me as i pray it is for you but one of the things that is unique to the holiday season is a lot of the folks that I've had the privilege of serving and even being in the corner for uh, some folks in a fight for their life with addiction. I, I usually hear from them around Christmas time. Men like Blake Brazil, who uh, was a part of this church for quite some time after he graduated, the founder, he's now uh, serving God, living for God in Hawaii. Um, he went over there to, uh, to be a server in a luxury hotel and the favor of God has grown him so strong that they brought him into the accounting office. He has no accounting background, but um, is making a beautiful, wonderful salary over there, living his best life. Um, heard from Brady Wright. Some of you remember Brady. Brady um, went through the foundry, went through discipleship class, went through school of ministry at, at Highlands and... Um, he just finished up his first year pastoring a church. He pioneered a church in Colorado. 252 people in his church now. Graham Bufford be soon to be Dr. Graham Bufford. How about Audrey Tripp? You may have remembered her as Audrey McIntyre when she was here at Heritage for so many years. She's the lady that I often talk about that um, just basically uh, called me out in a class one morning at the foundry she said I'm facing 300 years in prison she said what can your God do for me let me tell you what he did for her he gave her the keys to the mental institution that she used to be locked up in she developed a program to mentor young teenage girls with dual diagnosis mental issues and presented that to the State Department of Mental Health. And not only did they agree, they funded her program. And she took it into the, she took it into that mental institution where she boldly preached Jesus to those young women. She's married now with children of her own, praise God. And I could go on and on and on. When I talk about no greater joy than my children walking the truth, I'm not just talking about my, my beautiful family. I'm not just talking about Jake and Bethany and John Mark and Gina. I'm, I'm talking about so many people. Amen. There's no greater joy. Listen to me, please. There's no greater joy to see you walking in truth. 
God only wants good for you. This cannot be overlooked when he says, if you love me, do what I say. I want you to pay very close attention to that bottom statement right there. Doing what God says is the best thing you can do for him. Because it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Do you understand it better now? Do you understand why he says, if you love me, do what I say. If you love me, obey me. If you love me, listen to me and trust me enough to do what I'm telling you to do. It's because it's the best thing you can do for yourself. It's not just the best thing you can do for him. It is the best thing you can do for him because it is the best thing that you can do for yourself. What's the alternative? If what God says is on one hand, what is the other consideration? What is it that we allow to compete with what he says? We find the answer in Proverbs 3. It's our own understanding. Our own understanding is what competes with him and often wins out over what God says. I said unedited. I don't know where that W came from. So I'm, not, I'm, not tr- I'm just trying to give you some idea. I'm, I'm sitting at my kitchen table with my laptop. I'm just giving it to you like you gave it to me. Is that okay? Can I do that for a few more minutes? All right. Remember, your own understanding is what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe to you. So you've got on one hand what God says. And then we've got what so many of God's people go with. It's not what he says. It's what seems right, makes sense, and feels safe. You see, doing what God says, again, requires trusting him. All the ways of God are designed to teach you to trust him. So every time you do what he instructs you to do, it's not just, see, could I, there's so much here, and I've got some stuff I really need to get to, but let me, do you realize that that was ultimately the failure in the Garden of Eden? Satan says, oh, no, 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 you, you can't trust God, Eve. He's, he's holding out on you. He, he's tricking you. Only reason he told you not to eat that fruit is because he knows if you eat that fruit, it's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you like him. It's going to give you understanding and ability and power um, that you don't have. And he's wanting to keep all that for himself and, 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 and not let you have any of it. Notice the trust issue here. Are you seeing it? Please tell me you're seeing it. See, where do we say all trust in God begins? It begins with trusting his motives, trusting his intentions, trusting that he only wants good for you, trusting that he only wants to help you and and, and show you a better way. And anything he's ever told you, anything he's ever said to you or about you, he has had your best interest in mind, right? And that was true in the Garden of Eden, and it's true of whatever he's telling you to do right now. It's not because he's trying to take something away from you that would be good for you. It's not because he's trying to keep some pleasure from you that that it's some silly trick, you know. Uh, He created sex. God wants you to enjoy that. But he also gave you a whole lot of rules for its proper use. Because when you use good things in a bad way, they turn into nightmares and not blessings in your life. So all the ways of God are designed to teach you to trust him. That's just that plain and simple. And see, we live in a world now that has changed so much that we almost feel like we have to defend God's ways. Right? Especially the the part about sexual sin and especially the part about um, punishing children and disciplining children and raising children. You know? It's like, oh, that's so outdated. That's so old school. And, and God, didn't, God didn't really mean that and just this. and that. See, again, no, no. See, again, we, you don't have to defend him. You, you can choose to do whatever you want to do. You can live your life however you want to live it. You can raise your children however you want to raise them. You can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with anytime you want to sleep with them. But it will not change. That all of those things are carrying you away from your best life, not towards it. Not towards it. Because Father knows best. See, you say, but I don't understand that, Pastor Mark. Why do I have these feelings? And why this? And why that? See, that trust. Either God's right or he's not. Either he knows what he's talking about or he doesn't. 
Either he wants what's best for you or he's trying to keep something good from you just so he can na-na-boo-boo you in the end or he really is trying to do something to help you. See, again, but it comes back to trust. It comes back to trust. Let's go to John. Can you come back sometime this year? Because we're not going to get through all this. Amen. Can we? Amen. That's what, if you ever listen to Brother Keith Moore, that's his line right there. Can you come back? Amen. Except for he usually preaches about an hour and a half, but maybe not quite that long. All right. John 21. You have your Bibles? Let's go there for a minute. Are you getting anything out of this? Amen. I like to preach and I like to teach and I'm just trying to share my heart with you this morning, things that God's put on my heart. Amen. So John 21 and 15. If you're familiar with what's happening here, Jesus has raised from the dead. He has made multiple appearances to the disciples. And they're kind of in limbo, so to speak. It's, it's really not sure what's next, really not sure what to do next. And Peter did what he knew, and that's what a lot of times we do as well. He went, he went back to fishing because that was his thing before Jesus. And, um, you know, he had really messed up. He had denied Jesus you know, showed himself publicly. And um, so he says, you know what, let's, let's just go catch some fish. Now, I, you know, some people, we, we have no idea if they were like turning their back on the ministry. I don't think so necessarily. Um, I still like to wet a line every now and then, amen. <laughs> doesn't mean I'm going to be a commercial fisherman or something. You know, I still like to build cabinets. That doesn't mean I'm going back into the cabinet business. So I, I don't necessarily think this means they were turning their back on their destinies, but but nonetheless, they were out there fishing, and Jesus comes walking by on the shore, except for the beautiful thing is they, they didn't know it was him. And, and can you imagine the load off of Jesus? I mean, Jesus has just, like, saved the universe. He's just done the hardest thing that anybody will ever have to do in the history of the universe, and it's over now. And, and, and so can you imagine the, the, the relief? The, you know, and, and so he's going to have some fun with it, right? He's, he's, on the, he's on the shore, and they're out there fishing. And, um, and he asks what anybody on the shore watching people fish would ask. What, what would that be? Catching anything, right? Catching anything, guys? And they're like, no, sir. You know, they don't know it's Jesus. They're like, no, I fished all night and hadn't caught anything. He said, oh. On the other side of the boat. Now, that may sound silly to you, but do you have inside jokes with friends where you say little things that, yeah. See, this was where it all began. It all began three years ago when he said to them, Won't you try on the other side of the boat? And so they knew better this time than to even think about doing something different. Peter couldn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He jumped in the water and swam to shore. And Jesus had cooked them breakfast. I so desperately want you to know a Jesus who wants to have breakfast with you. Who wants to start your day with you who wants to enjoy your company and you enjoy his. It's the sweet spot of life, my friend. We talk so much about the Lord's Supper. We're fixing to celebrate it. Amen. But I'm not sure that the Lord's breakfast wasn't more impactful in the end than the supper they had some three days before. They were getting all concerned about the catch. We got to count these fish. We got to get these fish to market. Jesus said, don't need to count them. There's 153 of them. <laughs> Realize how often we get 
so caught up in counting fish when we could be sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving from him that which, as he said to Mary and Martha, he said, Martha, Mary's chosen that part that can't be taken away from her. Them fish will be sold and be eaten, and then we need to go get some more. But what Jesus wanted to do in their lives that morning was something that would never be taken away from them. Amen. Amen. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now exactly what Jesus meant there, we don't know. Some people say he was talking about the fish. I think it was more than the fish. Because Simon was always bragging about how he loved Jesus more than anybody else. Either way, Jesus knows what he's doing here. Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time. Anybody see a connection here? How many times did Peter publicly deny Jesus? It's three, right? If, Jesus, if Peter had done what he did privately, Jesus would have restored him privately. But since he fell publicly, Jesus isn't trying to embarrass him. Everybody there knew what he did. So Jesus is wanting everybody that at least mattered in, that, in, in Peter's world to know that Jesus was publicly restoring him. Amen. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there's something that's lost in translation here. And what's lost in translation is the use of the word love in both Jesus's question and Peter's answer. When Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus used the word agape. Now, agape is when you love as an act of the will. When Jesus said, love your enemies, he's not talking about what we often think of when we think of love. What we often think of when we think of love is the Greek word philo, P-H-I-L-E-O, Philadelphia, city of love or brotherly love. And so when we often hear of love, we think philo. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, we're thinking, how in the world could I love an enemy? You know, he's not saying philo, your enemy. He's saying agape, your enemy. He's saying as an act of your will, choose to bless when you're cursed. Choose to pray for those who spitefully use you. He's, he's saying love because you choose to do it, not because of the emotion that you may or may not feel. Okay? So Jesus says to, I'll put it up this way. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I philo you. See the difference here, right? Philo would be, this, this is the way you need to understand philo. It's warm, fond, affectionate feelings for another person. Warm, fond, affectionate feelings. When you, you have affection in your heart for another person. You realize now, I, I don't want to go too far because I've got a few other things I need to try to get covered. Are you okay? Can you stay a few more minutes? Okay. If you can't come back, can you stay a few more minutes? Um, you can have philo for someone you've never met. You can have philo for someone you've never met. In other words, you, you, maybe you see how they 
treat other people or, you know, what have you. Obviously, there's different degrees of, of, of philo, and there's a, there's a, there's a uh, philo, a friend, that we get our word friend, English word friend from this word philo, that sticks closer than a brother. So notice how Peter answers him. He says, you know that I philo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I philo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make here? Father is, is um, and I, I hate to, I speak to you as a man. I'm, I don't know any other words to use. So this is the best way I know how to say it, okay? Father has had enough. He's, it's, he's grown weary. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's grown weary of his children loving him and not trusting him. And I'm telling you, if I've ever stood before you and told you something from the heart of my father, I'm telling you this morning, that's his heart. He's weary of it. And what the Lord showed me in the wee hours of, of this morning is that this was Peter's problem. See, when Jesus said to him, do you choose to love me as an act of your will? Peter felt like he was speaking of a higher level of love. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Peter, I think Peter's heart was, was this, Lord, I don't just agape you, I feel you, man. Me and you are tight. Jesus didn't ask him if he philoed him. He asked him if he agape him. He asked him again. He says, no, no, I philo you, Jesus. Me and you, we go way back. That's not what Jesus is asking him. There is no substitute for trusting God. Being in awe of God is not the same as trusting him. Believing in God is not the same as trusting him. Recognizing what he has done for you and being thankful is so important, but again, is not the same as trusting him. You can give God praise, and you should, we all should, but praising God is not the same as trusting him. You can attend, learn, give, serve, and do so faithfully, but never trust Sacrificing for God is the duty of every believer, but not the same as trusting Him. You can even to some extent love God or at least have fond affection for Him in your heart, but that is not the same as trusting Him. When, when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me this morning, as I was typing that out, that was when, boom, I saw it. During His public restoration, Peter kept insisting he philoed when Jesus kept asking if he agaped Him. This is the place many of God's children find themselves in today. Like Peter, we think the warm, fond, affectionate feelings, that is philo, is superior to choosing to love God as an act of the will, which is agape. You don't fall into agape, you choose it. Philo and eros can seem to come out of nowhere. Anybody ever fallen in love? can seem to come out of nowhere and at the same time seem to have always been, but not agape. Agape is a decision, and more times than not, it is accompanied by opposing emotions instead of the gloriously comforting feelings of Philo and Eros. Jesus looked him straight in the eye and asked him, Do you love me, Peter? It was not a question about warm, fond, affectionate feelings. Jesus knew Peter had those, and Peter knew that Jesus knew he had them. This is why Peter confidently said, you know all things, and you know that I feel you. But Jesus also knew, listen now, Jesus also knew how far Philo without agape would get Peter. Peter had those same fond, affectionate feelings when confronted three times some three nights before. Peter still had those warm, fond, affectionate feelings in the aftermath of his failure. Otherwise, his choices would not bother him. Sorry. The abiding presence of his affection for Jesus had now become the root of his misery and confusion. How could I have betrayed the one I love? Peter didn't crumble because he didn't care for Jesus. 
Peter didn't lie, swear, and turn his back on his friend because he didn't have feelings for him. Peter didn't do the very thing he swore he would not do because Jesus held no special place in his heart. But when the heat was on and a serious threat slapped Peter in the face, he talked and acted like he had no idea who Jesus was. How dare you judge him because we've all done it. The faces, the questions, and the circumstances were not necessarily the same, but the outcome was the pressure is on, and all of a sudden, it's Jesus who. Now you say, hey, cut Peter and us some slack, Pastor Mark. He was afraid. He really didn't mean it. Jesus knew Peter loved him, and anyone who mattered knew it as well. Precisely my point. And this is the hidden flaw Jesus sought to reveal and correct during Peter's public restoration. Jesus was in essence saying, Peter, I've never questioned your friendship or philo for me, but philo will never carry you where only agape can. Do you agape me? Now let's go back to what happened. Peter clearly acted in self-defense, and self-defense always seems to be justified. His life was potentially on the line, and he did what he had to do in the moment to survive. Who could blame him? Peter was confronted by presumably hostile people, and he chose to try and save his own life. Pay attention to that last sentence. He chose to try and save his own life. If trying to save your own life jumps off the page for some reason, it's because Jesus said the fastest way to lose your life is to try and save it yourself. Losing your life doesn't necessarily mean death, but missing out on the life God created you to live. Trying to save your life will always keep you from finding and living your best life. But there's another important word in the phrase, chose to save his own life, and that word is chose. Peter made a choice in the heat of the moment that many people would argue was only natural and what most people would have done. Do you see what Peter was missing in that moment? It wasn't a fondness for Jesus that Peter lacked. It was trust. He didn't trust him. Jesus knew this moment was coming for Peter. Jesus warned him about it and practically begged Peter to stay awake and pray so that he would not fall into temptation. But it is easy to sleep. Listen, I want to holler this. Please hear me. It's easy to sleep when you should be praying because friends understand when you're tired and need some rest. Did you hear what I just said? You see how easy it was for Peter to sleep when Jesus asked him to pray? Ah, he's my friend. He, he understands. I'm tired. It's been a long day. We'll pray later. Do you see how Philo tricked him and deceived him here? Warm, fond, affectionate feelings for Jesus are important. But like any other feeling, we must be aware of the potential deception surrounding them. Warm, fond, affectionate feelings for Jesus can make it easy to boast about what we're going to do for him, how we're going to respond because we, uh, how we're going to respond uh, because we love Jesus. Listen very carefully to me now. Peter's confidence was not fake bravado. I believe he meant every word of his confession of faith just like many others mean every word of their confession of faith concerning life's challenges. And like Peter, far too many times we back down instead of forging ahead and following through. This last part, can I, say, can I get this just, just a little bit more? This part right here, I have never, maybe all of you have, but I have never. Have you ever stopped to think? that Peter could have humbled himself when Jesus told him he was going to deny him three times before dawn. Peter looked Jesus in the eye and basically told him, you don't know what you're talking about. Over my dead body is the only way any of this will ever happen. Was Peter stupid? Was he being belligerent and arrogant? The rooster crowing before dawn that morning seems to confirm he was. But in the moment, Peter's warm, fond, affectionate feelings for Jesus were the motivation behind his confidence. Do you see how these feelings blinded him? What if Peter had instead said, Oh, Jesus, that's the last thing I ever want to do. And right now I can't see how I would ever do something so foolish. 
But if you're telling me this, it has to be true. What do you know that I don't know, Jesus? What am I missing? Please tell me what can be done to change this outcome. The lesson Peter received at breakfast could have been given at supper if his heart had only been ready to hear it. Listen to me now. If you love him, make this book a priority in your life in 2022. If you love him, see, you say, well, look, man, I love Jesus, but I'm just, I just don't, I'm not much of a reader, Pastor Mark. No, no, see, again, that's philo. We don't need philo. We need agape. Now, here's the thing about agape. Agape begins with an act of the will, but guess what it ultimately finds it finds joy unspeakable and full of glory. You say, well, I just, I'm not, I'm not much on this. Or, you know, church attendance just isn't for me. I mean, I, I catch it online when I can, Pastor Mar. But no, 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 see, again, again, you're, 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 you're letting your friendship with Jesus make you think it's okay to neglect his house. Are you following what I'm saying? I heard Robbie Knievel say, he's fixing to jump over part of the Grand Canyon he, I think he was like, I, I don't know, I think he was partially intoxicated, to be honest with you. He was, I think he was scared out of his mind and was drunk. And, and, he, and he's, I remember he said, oh, me and God got their own little thing worked out on the side. I'm like, you foolish man, no you don't. No you don't. Fixing to put your life on the line. Believe in a lie. Believe in a lie. Make the things of God a priority. There's a reason why he says don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Are you hearing me? I'm not, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. If you have not secured your communion emblems i'm going to ask you to go ahead and do that i apologize i usually tell folks when we make offering announcement and all that to grab them i just was full and it was kind of bubbling out of me amen they're on the tables by the by the door we're going to do something a little different this morning we're going to enjoy the lord's supper but we're going to remember his breakfast amen his breakfast, that's, that's when he put, they, they found fish already on the fire. Amen. Amen. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we do so humbly, sir. You know what's best. You always have and you always will. We can trust you, Father. You are trustworthy. You are worthy of our trust. So many things, Father, we put our trust in that are not worthy of it. So many people we put our trust in who are not worthy of it. And yet, Father, you are worthy of our trust. You know what we need to do more than we know what we need to do. And, Lord, so many of the things that, that you instruct us to do, Lord, they, they are, they're even offensive, Lord, to, to logic and human reasoning and, and the... And the, and the rationalization of the, of the meat computer. And yet, Father, we hear and we believe. And because we love you as an act of our will, we're going to do it. We're not going to keep trying to save our own lives by going with what uh, makes sense, seems right, and feels safe, Lord. We're going with you and we're going with your word because you're the only way, Lord. You are the only way. And Lord, when we say the only way, you're not just the only way to heaven. You're not just the only way out of here. You're the only way through here. And we're going through, Father. We're not just, just going to 
hide out and, and hang on and, 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 and linger around the, 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 the gate uh, until you come back for us, Lord. We're forging into the great unknown of your kingdom, discovering new things about you and about what you've done for us and about what you've given to us and about who we are in Christ every day of our lives this new year. Father, we're a people hungry for you. I think so many in this world are finally realizing, Lord, that government and money and and all the technology and all these things that they put their trust in, Father, they, they don't have answers. And I believe, Father, they're about to turn back to you in droves. So it's not the time for those of us who know you to be ashamed, but it's time for us to stand up and let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify you, Father, in heaven. Let's take the bread if you haven't already taken it. Father, we hold this bread in our hands. It represents Jesus' body was pierced through with nails and thorns and sharp metal and leather on the ends of a whip. It was pierced through with a sword. All, Father, so that we could stand here whole before you. Father, I thank you that what we do, we do in obedience, humbly, in remembrance of Jesus. Forgive us, Father, for ever forgetting him for a single moment. Father, forgive us for wanting a relationship of convenience instead of one of obedience. A relationship, Father, on our terms instead of his. Lord, one that is more interested in our agenda instead of yours. Help us, Father, agape you with all of our hearts as we partake of this bread together. Let's partake together now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we now hold this cup in our hands, Lord. It's Father, symbolic of so much more than what this little plastic cup full of juice represents, Father. Oh, man. Lord, is there, is there anything that we could hold in our hands that would somehow convey the magnitude, Lord, of what this few drops of juice represents, that precious blood? That precious blood took away our sin it made us the righteousness of God in Christ it restored us back into right standing with you it qualified us for the yoke of discipleship to walk alongside Jesus and do life together with him every day of our lives this blood ratified the covenant father where you in essence said you'll never remember our sins or hold them against us ever again and you'll be with us always even unto the very end. And so, Lord, it's with that in mind that we drink together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This may be just a little bit out of sequence, but if you would, for just a moment, bow your heads just right where you're standing. You're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, on this second day of the new year I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior but this morning I'd like to do that. Has anybody in the room never been born again never received salvation but I, a good friend of mine, matter of fact his son-in-law owns the business across the street now um, we share the same birthday January 3rd and he got born again in the new year, I don't know how many years ago now that was before Pam and I married so probably 40 years ago now so anybody, you say, Pastor Mark, I've never been born again, but today's my day. All right, praise God. Look at me for a moment. I want you to know that I love you, okay? I want you to know that I, that I believe in the God who's in you, amen? And because of that, I believe in you, amen? I want us to work together this year 
to do great things for our Father. Amen. Amen. When we stand here, you know, next year, Lord willing, and the rapture doesn't take place in 22, amen. I don't want us to be standing in the same place, and I don't mean the exact location. I think you know what I mean by that. I don't want us to be standing in the same place in life that we're standing right now. And we don't have to. That's the promise. I mean, if you, if you think what, what Matt was prophesying over you about those things fading and all that stuff, man, get about another 100 miles in the kingdom ahead of those things. You, you won't even remember them. You, I mean, Paul's like, I have wronged no man. My conscience is clear. I bet, I bet Stephen's family would have something to say about that, big guy. Happy New Year. Good things coming. Your love. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning.